I said that. Um, so another thing I was going to say about you is that, oh, wait a minute. Here we go. Fellowship Center, are you with me over there? Give me a hand clap. Give me a wave so I know you're with us. Are you there? There you go. You can make more noise than that. We can't hear you over here. Give us a, give us a shout. Give us a hand clap. Boy, that, that group over there needs some work. I'm going to have to go over there live. I'll have to do that. This is Daniel Johnson, 17 years old, homeschooler. He's a juggler. And also, I found out this week that he started working at Duck Commander this last week. So I just want you to push anything with my face on it. I mean, just try to get it out there, get it in the hands of people. Can you do that? All right. I can do that. All right. Share your scripture with us, Dad. John 7, 37 through 38. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Thank you, brother. Turn that off. Thank you, brother. Um, it's good he's at Duck Commander. Uh, old times, right? So I don't know what you miss uh, from the pandemic. There are things, obviously, that are not normal. Uh, we were talking on the podcast the other day. Jason was talking about, you know, now that golf is back, at least there's something uh, I can watch on television. I know NASCAR was back first. Paul, I know you're excited about that. Not a big NASCAR guy. Um, I do like driving a car, but not so much on watching them, but that's just me. Uh, those of you that love it, I get it. Uh, but I miss baseball. You know, I lo- how many of you like baseball? A few of you out there? You know, a lot of people, they compare it, and they're like, ah, baseball, ah, it's so slow. It's, you know, I like football because it's more exciting. I get it. I mean, football is intense. From beginning to end, I mean, it is a great sport to watch. But the thing I like about baseball is that it is slower paced. And I can do other things while I'm watching a game, you know. And so I'm usually reading or studying. I got the game on. So I'm a Dodger fan. And they come on late at night on the West Coast. So I get the package. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone asleep at about the sixth inning. You know, it's usually around the same time. Lisa comes and wakes me up. Sometimes it's about the ninth inning. I can see how the game ends. Sometimes it's already over. I have to check the next day. But that's just my pattern. That's what I like to do. Ben Scully, man, he put me to sleep on more nights, you know. And I love it. I I love the game. So I'm getting to watch Corby play, and that's all I got now is six-year-old T-ball pitching machine. It's not the same. Now, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. I love it, you know, watching the kids out there. They're learning the game. And, you know, there's always some of these fans that are there, and there's always one or two that, you know, they're still putting way too much into six-year-old T-ball. You know what I'm saying? They're living and dying on the game here. And these kids are trying to figure out where they're supposed to be the whole time. So they get a little bit too excited, a little bit too into it, you know, and you get some of that going on. But I, I miss the game uh, because it's a... It's America's pastime. It's one of our richest and longest things. And so I'm excited that the season's about to crank back up, uh, and finally we're going to get to see some more baseball. Let me, let me, uh, there is a point to that. Uh, it does tie into my lesson, just so you know. Uh, but we're going to be in John 7 today, and uh, I want to set it up just a little bit, because we've talked about John 6 the last few weeks. And you remember last week, Mike and I talked about that you've got this crowd of disciples that are now beginning to thin. And as we said last week, when the commitment gets thick, many times the crowd begins to get thin, right? And it's still the same thing today. I mean, when you're challenged, when you're, when you're committed, and when you're asked to go the extra mile, 
for the Almighty. And sometimes when you have to face persecution and difficulty or maybe the truth that's being spoken is not speaking to where you are because you're not where you need to be. Sometimes the seeds just cut and run. And that's exactly what we see happening here. So I would say we're kind of at a low point in terms of Jesus' ministry uh, that he's doing here in this three years. Here we get to John chapter 7. And so when this happens, then other people will begin to tell you what you need to be doing. And again, I find this really interesting because Jesus is the Son of God, the creator of all things. But here at this low point where people have left him and he's staying in Galilee because he's not going to go down to Jerusalem, he's going to get some PR help, some marketing gurus. They're going to step in and say, well, here's what we think you need to be doing to kick start this thing, get it going again. They're about to have the fall festivals, what I call it, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. It's basically a week-long event that was in Jewish history where they got together in the fall and they thank God for the harvest. So that's about to come up. And in John chapter 7 and verse 2, we're going to get some marketing help for Jesus. When the Jewish festival, verse 2, of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers, oh, so it's family. Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee, go to Judea, so that your disciples may see your works that you do. What are you doing hanging around here, moping around? You need to get down there and get in the action, Jesus. Verse 4. And I take this as one of the most condescending, patronizing verses in the Bible because Jesus' family is saying this to the Son of God. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. They're saying that to the Son of God. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. In other words, since you're doing the miracles, I mean, get out there. Mingle. Show people what you got. And then verse 5. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. His own family? So you're telling me that Jesus has lived 30 years on the earth in perfection, the Son of God, and his own family doesn't believe him. You would think they would be the first ones in line, wouldn't you? I mean, they knew the story about how he came to be, but you know what? They didn't believe it. So the first thing we see, here's my baseball, getting back to baseball. Because we're going to have three swings today. And I'm going to go ahead and give you, tell you what's going to happen. They're all going to miss. Right? And when you have three swings, what happens? You're what? Fellowship Center, can I hear from you? Three swings and you're what? Thank you. But today we're going to talk about three swings and you're in. First swing is the family missed Jesus' unique purpose. They missed it. Now, to cut them some slack, what would it be like if your oldest brother was perfect? Now, I know my family has to deal with some of the same issues. I'm not perfect, of course. But Jesus was perfect. I mean, he never sinned. He never made a mistake. You, you always say, well, Mr. Perfect. He was Mr. Perfect. How would that be in a family constantly compared to you and your imperfections? Might there be some jealousy 
and some problems, maybe. Certainly when it got to this moment, when he needed them to be there for him, instead they weren't. They were condescending and they were telling him what he needed to do, which was, he's, he's like, really? He, they shared DNA, though, because Mary was their mother. There's an interesting verse in Luke chapter 8, verse 19. And this kind of gives you an insight into how Jesus felt about even his own family and how he compared spiritual and physical. Now, this verse 19. Now, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. So this is, you know, we're still in the crowd days. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. They can't get in because of the crowd. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. See, that's the thing about being the son of God. You know he loved his family. He shared DNA with his siblings. But nothing was more important than his mission, his purpose. He was created uniquely to come here and save the earth, including his family. And just because they missed it, they missed it. That's a strong statement right there. And I know as I'm speaking today and I've got our live stream audience, there's a lot of you that have family that probably aren't believers. And there may even be conflict in how you go forward. These are difficult things to deal with. And look, our Lord dealt with it too. When your family won't come around and believe. Sometimes familiarity, which is the root word for family, sometimes it produces a lack of enthusiasm and it lowers people's expectations. I see it happen all the time. I remember when you used to go somewhere in a conference and everybody there was excited to be there because they all went there, whether it was praise and worship or to hear some good teaching or whatever. And it's like, well, I got to go back to my church, my family. Familiarity, see, as if God's still not being praised and glorified in any time we're together. The word of God being spoken shouldn't penetrate us at any single moment. See, we build it up into these moments, too. It's easy for us to get lackadaisical. Here's Jesus' response to this advice that his family gave him. Verse 6, John 7. Jesus told him, my time is not yet here. Thank you, PR firm. For you, any time will do. Now, I don't know about you. I don't read too much into that. But Jesus seems a little stung to me on this. He's like... I got stuff to do on my timetable, but you can do whatever you want. I mean, I'm trying to just put it in the vernacular of us having a conversation, right? The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I think Jesus is a little burned here by his own family. They don't trust him. They don't think he knows what he's doing. You want to become a public figure, you need to get with the playbook, son. I think he's a little burned, and I get it. It's tough. It's tough to stand for truth when people around you don't believe in what you're doing. I think as a family of believers, we need to believe in one another. That's important. That's important to know the person to your left and your right believe in you and think you are worth something 
You're a son or a daughter of the Almighty. I was looking through some pictures Alex moved this week and came across some old pictures, some old groups we used to have. And all these old people like me were young then, you know, and it was amazing just looking back. But there were the, the first two I pulled out of the stack were Bill and Margaret and Carl and Barbara Allison. Smiling. Looked like we were having some feed out at mom and dad's. They were always happy when there was a feed, you know, especially Bill. But I, I looked at those pictures and I just thought, man, people believed in me when I had no belief in my, even myself that I was, could accomplish anything for the Almighty. But other people saw that and said, you can do this. Come, we'll show you how. Think about people that have been a blessing in your life that helped disciple you and help teach you the ways of Christianity. Someone believed in you enough to share that with you and to spend time with you. What an awesome, awesome thing. I was talking this week, uh, senior high camp uh, ended yesterday. And, you know, in spite of the corona and there was all kind of issues, they met. And my 14-year-old granddaughter goes to her first senior high camp session. And, see, they come home every night because they were sleeping at home instead of staying out there because of the virus. And so I get to hear this nightly how awesome this day was. And, man, that just took me back. And there was Max Dasher, and he was telling me how what an awesome week it was and people that had been led to Christ. And, man, it just flooded all those memories back. I thought about my Aunt Jan who took me to camp in 1974 and now has gone on to be with the Lord. And here I am talking with her grandson about the blessing of Camp Chioka. People believing in people. Our entire family said, Phil will never turn around. You know who believed in him? My Aunt Jan. She said, if we ever get him turned around, he will lead thousands to the Lord. Thousands. And everybody said, Jan, you're crazy. Well, guess what? You just sometimes, you got to have somebody believe in you. Jesus' family, they didn't. A swing and a miss. Our second swing is our festival crowd. They missed a unique opportunity for what Jesus had been prepared to do. John seven fourteen. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. Uh-oh. The brother's like, you need to go up there. And he said, you go. I'm on my own timetable. And then halfway through the week, he goes up there or down there. He knew he was going to go the whole time. See, he was making a point. The Jews there were amazed at his teaching and said, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Later, they said, you're demon-possessed in the same conversation. <laughs> I'm amazed. This guy is incredible. He's no one from nowhere, and he studied under no one. And then once they heard him, they came to the conclusion that he was under the control of the evil one. You talk about a big swing and a big miss. How does that happen? Well, what happens is when you have something in your mind and then the Son of God comes in and gives you truth and it's not what you thought it was or it's not what you had always been taught, 
you answer that by smearing the person. Now, I know that would never happen in today's world. That when you're faced with a simple, seemingly easy truth, that you would then try to smear the person saying it. Social media. But that's exactly what happened here. They had no answer for him, so they said, well, you're of the evil one. You're demon-possessed. Because we see the things you're doing, we can't explain it. I mean, the stuff you're saying, we can't refute it. So you must be of the evil one. That was their conclusion. Miss. Here's what Jesus said. My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I'm speaking on my own. Are you really seeking the will of God? Because if you are, that means some of the stuff you always thought may not be true. But he will be proved true, is what he was saying. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, to become a public figure. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about it. And there was nothing false about Jesus Christ. 100% truth. Then he told him, stop judging by mere appearances. Instead, judge correctly. Idiots. I added that. He didn't say that. He loved people too much to say that. But that's what happened. I mean, how crazy is that? We marvel, we're amazed, we can't even explain how you're doing this. Got to be demon-possessed. I mean, we read about some of the demon-possessed people in the Scriptures. They didn't seem like Jesus running around, chained up. It was crazy. How could people think that? But like you, I sit and watch things, and I look, and I see people react and say stuff, and I think, how could they say that? Jesus had a unique mission. He was prepared to come here and do what he had to do. Galatians 4, 4 says this. When the time set had fully come, which is in this moment we're talking about, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. As we've been going through this book of John, think about all the images that we've talked about. When Jesus was baptized, remember, by John the Baptist, that great picture of the Father's voice and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. And Jesus there in that radiant moment, and you're seeing the whole Godhead, and John the Baptist backs up and says, Whoa! This is the Lamb of God. This is the one who came to save the world. And then remember that? We talked about the Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter, James, and John are there. And all of a sudden, Jesus is glowing. There's Moses. There's Elijah. What in the world is happening? We're seeing the vision, the glory of who God is on this earth, all to give you and me and the people we're reading about in this context, the Holy Spirit. What a moment for all time, the Godhead for us. Remember when he shared with Nicodemus, when we talked about to the Samaritan woman, he gave them the truths that the spirit of God was going to come here and was going to live in us. 
in this moment. And these poor people thought he was demon-possessed. Missed it. One more swing. At least the faith leaders will get it, right? The people who should know better, who've been looking for the signs and know all the prophecies. John seven thirty two. The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Is he, this, is he the son of God? Maybe he is. I don't know. He seems amazing. No, he's demon-possessed. They didn't know whether they wanted to kill him or crown him at any given moment. The Pharisees are watching this. Now, here's the faith leaders of Israel. If anybody should have recognized Jesus, it should have been them, right? Guess what? Third swing. The chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. They didn't even go hear him. We've heard enough. We're just going to send somebody down there to scoop him up. That was their reaction to Jesus. We've got to get rid of him. The temple guards went back to the chief priest and the Pharisees who had asked them, why didn't you bring him in? Uh-oh. They went to arrest him, but they didn't bring him back. No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. Have you heard this guy? He is awesome. How do you think that went over with the bigwigs? You mean he has deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. I didn't even know retorted was in the Bible. But it fits the Pharisees perfectly. You idiots. They really did say that. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No. They're proud that no one's come to faith. Proud to be unbelievers. What a bunch of arrogant people. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Yeah, there, there is a curse on them. And you too, Pharisee, it's the curse of sin and death. And it's the same one that affects us to this very day. If you think you can do this without the Christ, there's a curse on you. And there's only one way to break it. The third swing and miss. The faith leaders missed it. I don't have time to read it, but if you want a blistering sermon to these guys, go read Matthew 23 sometime. It's a seven-point sermon on how hypocritical these people are. They missed it. So you say, well, Al, this has been a depressing lesson. <laughs> I mean, three swings and three misses. I mean, who like, you know, unless you're pulling for the pitcher, this is not too good. But remember I said three swings and you're in. Here's what they missed initially. John seven thirty seven. On the last and greatest day of the festival, the finale, Jesus stood and in a loud voice said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. This is his finale. This is the big conclusion. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. What a picture. John gives us a little commentary. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. This story has a happy ending. 
because there were some people that came around. When the Pharisees said, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, they were wrong. In verse 50, when they were saying this, Nicodemus, remember who had the little convo with Jesus back in John 3, who had gone to Jesus earlier, who was one of their number, said, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? Whoa. Maybe something's happening inside old Nicodemus. Here he is taken up for Jesus with the Pharisees. Later, we'd see him in John 19, taking the body of Jesus down off the cross and preparing his body for resurrection. Believer. On a road to Damascus, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees named Saul would become arguably the greatest apologist for Christ in the history of the world. You see, even faith leaders who think they knew it all came to faith at some point. Probably not all of them, but I know some of them that did. Arrogance caves in when you accept Christ, when he becomes your Lord and your leader. It changes everything. You see truth as it was meant to be seen through the prism of Christ. He is everything. Man, you get into your man-made stuff and your traditions and all these other things. Push all that out. You see Jesus and you get him right, everything else will be right. That's what I know from this. What about that crowd who thought Satan was in charge of Jesus? Well, in Acts chapter 2, I'm pretty sure that a bunch of them were dripping wet, full of the Holy Spirit, saying, what do we do next? Thousands of them came to Christ. And it had to be some of those same thousands that before had rejected him. They were the first ones that said, oh, my word, what do we do? Jesus says, come on in, boys. The water is fine. Now we're starting to hit, right? What about Jesus' family, the PR firm? Well, in Acts chapter 1, 14... The apostles are there. There's 11 of them, about to be 12. They all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and wait for it, his brothers in believers. The book of James was Jesus' brother. Great book. You see what happens? That's why I love baseball. It's slow. There's way more misses than hits, but just wait for it because Jesus waits for us. We're never too far away. We're never too long gone. Jesus has an answer for every single person, and he's patient. He doesn't want one person to perish and miss it, not a one. That's the God I love. That's the Lord I serve. And he's there for you. Last week we saw three people make a commitment to Christ. They were baptized right here behind me. The last one, I, I, I forgot her name. She was awesome. Tell me later. But she just cried tears of joy in that moment 
And I love that. It was so beautiful. I mean, what she was saying was, Jesus, you're it. I know you now. That Holy Spirit was evident as we were watching her. And that's there for us. If you're watching or you're here today in either of our assemblies and you've never obeyed Christ, man, today's your day. You don't want to miss this. I mean, you may have had a lot of swings and misses in your life. I've had way more. I mean, I've batted about 200 for a long time until I got in Christ. Now I'm a power hitter. I mean, I'm swinging for the fences on a regular basis. You know why? Because Jesus is who he says he is. And there's no Satan. He doesn't have anything to do with him. And you say, well, Satan, man, he's got me down. He's working on me. Then you need more Jesus. That's going to be your answer. You're not going to be able to find it any other place. That's your answer. Is to double down on Jesus. That's what I learned from this. This was the low point of Jesus' ministry in John 7. Seemingly. But there really was no low point. Because he came here to do what he had to do. And he did it for us. And we're blessed by that. Today, if you need to make a commitment to him, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we come before you today, I just want to do so humbly. Your Holy Spirit is so awesome and wonderful. He convicts me on such a regular basis of my shortcomings. He, he brings truth so much into my heart and, and wisdom into my life. And, Father, when I see people make that crossover, it's such a joy. And I've seen a lot of people through the years, and I expect to see a lot more. As long as you give me this time on earth, I want to help be a portal to truth and to the Holy Spirit. The only way that happens is through Jesus, your Son. Jesus, thank you so much for what you did for us. You were there at the beginning, and you're going to be there at the end for us, and you're you fill in all the middle, the big holes in our life and in our soul that we so desperately try to fill, Father. Thank you for the Holy Spirit because he is the fulfillment of everything. Father, I know there may be people watching or listening or here that maybe are just now getting to that point where they're really ready to commit and to lay it down and to give you what you need to be given so that your Holy Spirit can do everything he needs to do in their hearts and in their lives. If someone has been convicted with that today, Father, I pray they will seek you out. They will reach out to you and say, Holy Spirit, I need you. Jesus Christ, I need you. God the Father, I need you in my heart and in my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a need today, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?